welcome back to the Unlimited Podcast. Today we're focusing on music, and we're speaking to John Kelly, Gareth Churchill, and Jack Dean. First I spoke to John Kelly about his new album and performance. Yeah, hello. So can you introduce yourself and tell us what kind of work you make as an artist? Yeah, hi there. Um, I'm John Kelly, and um, I'm a musician, a singer-songwriter. Can you tell us about what you're presenting at the festival? Tell us what the name of it is and kind of describe it for anyone who might not have heard it or know what it is. The title is John Kelly and Friends, um, and it's basically a great uh, evening of music. It's a gig, a concert. I'll, I'll be playing with some friends who are all great musicians and artists, great bunch of musicians, and uh, we'll be performing all the tracks off the new album in a live version. So, yeah, it's going to be a really, really lovely evening of celebratory music, inclusive, relaxed, uh, accessible. Um, yeah, be uh, quite a big band for the night. As I say, I've got some friends joining me, so the, the band is going to be quite big that night, I think. So how did this project come about? or Where, where did you kind of start from? Oh, well, I've been a musician pretty much all my life. I've been a professional musician for the last sort of 15 years. My, my family are Irish. Music is in my, my blood, I guess. Um, and, you know, first time I performed, I was about eight years old. And about 12, 13 years ago, I was in loads of bands and we'd, we'd had some successes, some interest, but nothing major really. We just gigged a lot, played pubs, clubs. And um, I got a lucky break doing some paid singing work, some vocal work on what is well known with the Unlimited family um, as Reasons to be Cheerful, the Ian Jury musical. And that really cemented in my head that I've got a lot more that I want to do with my music. Can you talk a little bit more about the artistic side of it? Kind of, you know, what was the inspiration for some of the songs? Are, are there kind of artists that influence you that you'd like to sort of emulate or that you're influenced by, that kind of thing? Um, I think I'm trying to make it my own, but I'm obviously influenced by an amazing history of musicians and, you know, uh, storytellers like Woody Guthrie and Ian Jury and Suggs and things I grew up with. I was into ska and punk and all that kind of stuff. And there's definitely an Irish feel to one or two of the songs. But equally, you know, uh, modern musicians and, and, and musicians that are in the disability arts movement, like Johnny Crescendo and Miss Jackie. And um, I'm privileged to play with, like, um, you know, Oliver Cross, who's on the album, and Joanne Cox, who do different stuff to me, but they're all in the mix. But um, I've also been involved in the disability movement. I, I'm very involved with Disabled People Against Cuts, um, which came out of austerity. It was part of the disability rights movement, um, which I'm very proud to be a little cog in that wheel. So there's a couple of songs, you know, I used to sing on the streets when we were campaigning against the closure of the ILF or injustices that have happened over the last few years around social care or DWP and PIP and all the kinds of things that the crap that we as disabled people have to deal with on a daily basis in order to get on with our lives with everybody else you know so there's a couple of those songs 
and there's some lovely dovey donuts in it you know i write about love and i write about emotions and all the things that happen from day to day so there's you know there's a real mix in the album but hopefully it all sounds a bit like me you mentioned i think earlier that a lot of these people that you worked with are going to be with you live on stage so can you kind of talk about what people are actually gonna you know hear at the at the festival and what what the show's gonna be like yeah so uh let's think this through without giving too many surprises away but telling you everything (laughs) so um i've got a band so i will come on stage on my own as i do now i've got a new sort of start to my shows mainly to get rid of my own nerves it's all about (laughs) um being really open and authentic around what's going on and i come on stage quite nervous so I've kind of thought, how do I make that a little bit easier? So I'll come on stage and I'll just be there chatting with you and having a conversation very much like we are now, Alistair, really. And I introduce my guitar, which to some people will be new and will be different. And there's a little bit of getting people to forget that it's a kind of an amazing bit of technology. My guitar's called a Kelly Caster, which some people might have heard about. But I use a lot of technology to make the Kelly Costa sound and work just like a guitar. Because at the end of the day, I just want to play a very simple acoustic guitar in a little seat at the back of a pub somewhere. And then I've got a range of musicians, mainly acoustic. I've got an acoustic sound, really. So Paula plays an acoustic drum kit, which is like a little cajon and a snare and stuff, which is like, we can play it on the streets or you can play it on a stage. And then I've got acoustic guitar, 12-string, Dave plays that. And then Helen does vocals and also plays about three or four different instruments. She just, she's the octopus of the band. She plays four or five instruments. Joe Cox plays cello. Um, Oliver Cross will be playing harmonica. And they're, they're guesting. They don't usually always play with me. I brought them in for the album. When the budget allows, we want to play as much as we can, but... Usually, there's only three or four of us on stage, but for that night, we're throwing everything at it and we're all going to be on the stage. So it's going to be beautiful. I've got Nixon, who um, plays bass. And then I've got some guest people who I'm going to sing a few surprise songs with. One or two that aren't on the album, but are songs that I've done in other shows. Um, So that's really, really lovely. And that's really, really nice. So, yeah, I I think that's it all in terms of instruments. Um, all the songs will be captioned so there'll be captions on a screen so you'll be able to follow the lyrics it'll be signed I hope the audience will heckle me I hope they won't throw tomatoes but I certainly hope they'll sing along you know all all the songs are about the audience singing and signing along Uh, okay that's all the questions we have for today like thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us so you know thanks for that and uh yeah good luck with it yeah thank you for your support and thanks for including me and just visit the website if you want to know anything i think all the time we've got to get our voices out there so if everyone could just share to their networks and their friends the songs then it helps me to get the songs further than our internal bubble which is beautiful and very important but you know, we want to we want to get out there and make sure that people hear our songs. 
Yeah, finally, just on that note, just tell us exactly when the album is out, which I don't think we've talked about, and where people can get hold of it or how people could get hold of it. Okay, so I'm really, really excited to announce to you and let you know that the album will be out on the day of the gig. There's no opportunity bigger to launch the album than the gig at the Purcell Room South Bank as part of the Unlimited Festival. We're going to launch the album on that day, uh, the 9th of September. It's going to be out on my band camp. If you go to band camp and then look for John Kelly Musician or go to my website, johnkellymusician.co.uk and it will be available on all the usual platforms, you know, iTunes, um, all the streaming platforms. Obviously, as musicians, we don't get as great a deal on the streaming thing so if you can buy it as a christmas present for someone that's brilliant because it helps support the work but we totally realize that just listening to the music and enjoying it is all that i want really thanks john and good luck with the launch next we spoke to jack dean about his work hero and leander I'm Jack Dean. I'm the director of a company called Jack Dean and Company. We mostly do touring uh, theatre shows, most of which are quite heavily musical in their kind of drive, kind of in the gig theatre, opera, musical kind of zone. Um, We also do other bits and bobs. We've got a podcast series. Uh, we, yeah, we had a go at making a video game once, made a bit of that. Um, yeah, so we do various bits and bobs, but mostly we, we make and tour, uh, theatre shows, usually which are in some way about how we think about the past. So they might be historical or they might be mythological, um, like the one we bring to Unlimited Festival, or, or they might, yeah, somehow look at memory or something, something like that. The show I'm bringing to Unlimited Festival is called Hero Leander or I Love You But Everything's Underwater. It takes uh, a Greek myth, a fairly obscure one, the one of uh, Hero Neander, and it kind of puts it in a sort of contemporary English uh, coastal town setting. It's done by six musicians. Uh, It's a gig theatre show. We often tour it with our own bandstand, so if you can picture uh, this kind of faded Victorian bandstand being put in a random park somewhere in England, uh, and then... Uh, these six musicians show up. So on stage, we've got uh, a huge heap of musical kits, so bass drums, snare drums, uh, cymbals, ukuleles, guitars, cello, violin, and then these six musicians kind of loiter on, uh, sort of impersonating a bunch of late 2000s troublesome teens uh, doing some outdoor drinking. I don't know if outdoor drinking is still... It's, I assume it's still a big thing. It's a its a staple of, of English small-town society. Uh, previously, we've done it. They're all in kind of late 2008 clothing because that's kind of a big musical inspiration. Um, so, like, a lot of bright collared shirts and then those ridiculous sunglasses with the uh, slats on them that Kanye West popularised. And they show up in this, like big drums and various instruments and kit on stage and we kind of uh, run around playing all different ones and singing in in this really lush six-part harmony. The story is about um, these two young lovers, Hero and Leander. Um, They live on different sides uh, of a little small stretch of sea and it's 
for for reasons that are not really made clear in the myth like you're not really supposed to to go across them in a boat we've kind of made that a kind of sort of borders commentary so there's these two sort of states we've made up that have, have closed the border between them but there's uh one there's one day a year where that changes and then that's when leander meets hero and they fall in love and he starts uh flouting the rules and, and swimming across this one mile stretch of sea to see her uh and uh hero who inexplicably lives in a lighthouse uh shines that lighthouse at, at night so he can cross to see her um but gods get wind of this they don't like it gods don't like humans messing with their plans uh and it uh, as with generally with greek myths it doesn't end fantastically but we like to try and bring the audience with us in the vague hope a bit like in hades town that uh that this time it might be different and this time it might all work out i think of it as a musical um we're kind of we're kind of trojan horsing a less uh jazz handy more sort of gritty style of music and performance into the musical it's like how i like to think of it uh which is only a problem if people come expecting jazz hands and don't get them but so far it's all worked out i've been knocking about wanting to do something kind of about the sea something kind of set in a sort of faded English coastal town, having grown up around a lot of those. Yeah, so I was looking, I guess, for a story, an old story that was kind of set in a seaside kind of location. And I love sort of whimsical doomed stuff. Whimsical doomed acts of rebellion, I guess. That's kind of a thing running through a lot of the stuff I make. And the idea of this this kid just going, yeah, I'll swim it. It'll be absolutely fun. Which is kind of kind of the sort of stuff you do do when you're like eighteen, or you're like kind of you just kind of like, yeah, it's fine. I have no concept of risk, and everything's going to work out. And there's something lovely about that energy. And it was kind of a chance to approach a more sort of sort of romantic and sort of poppy, folky palette of music than anything I'd done before. But honestly, ideas come from all the places my show ideas come from. I went down a Wikipedia hole and then I got carried away and then I applied for some funding. I mean, we kind of took the idea of the Greek chorus, who are these kind of observing figures who would kind of watch and comment on the action, sort of narrate it. The idea of them being a band and all sort of an a cappella group, there are sort of like, uh, there's a lot of harmonic singing and there are sort of faint sort of chamber music-y influences, but mostly it's more stuff in the sort of Bon Iver, Darwin D's kind of, uh, yeah, it's sort of indie folk wheelhouse, which I guess was probably the sound of my teenagerhood, a big part. Um, a lot of indie and emo stuff. Big, big sound is generally what we go for. So you'll often have, you know, like a backing track and then six instruments uh, and then and then six vocal lines on top of that through all of them we're trying to make this huge huge wall of sound that kind of just washes over people it will be interesting taking a show uh for a rural touring audience and and putting it in london um but uh it's a versatile show i think it works well outdoors and indoors ultimately the thing that kind of holds it together is not anything that's specific to location it's just kind of a, it's just kind of like 17 songs that tell a story that we just kind of belt out I guess it's just like how much the audience will will sort of come with us on that journey. In a way, indoors is really nice because you don't get wind and rain and people wandering aimlessly in and out. Although you are far le- also far less likely to get like a like five year olds dancing in from, um, which those guys are my heroes. They're far far better at dancing than the adults.
this is kind of the first show where I'm like playing a lot of instruments on stage. I mostly let the other musicians cover for that. <laughs> like, like I kind of tend to take more ambient backgroundy stuff uh, where it's harder to fuck up. So it pushed me in terms of, of, of playing, um, which is still a thing I'm, yeah, working on trying to get better at. And it obviously pushed me in terms of composing, like writing six-part vocal harmony. It's really, really fun, but really challenging. So yeah, it pushed, it really pushed me as a composer as well as as a performer. Yeah, it's also, <laughs> carrying the bandstand has made me more hench, definitely. There are the, some huge blocks of wood. Um, and we have to run a, like a rigorous, like military discipline to get that thing up and down without losing any nails and bolts. I'm hopeful that the the show will get to to tour a bunch more. You never really know in in this hustle that I do. You, you're always just you know one funding application away from unemployment. Um, so we'll see how that goes. But it's been getting a good response so far. Um, yeah, I, I, I just want to keep touring it, keep doing it, keep meeting new people, keep taking it to new places. Eventually I'll make something else, but I'm, I'm, in, I'm in no hurry, really, because it's, it's, a, it's a real delight to do. It's on Spotify, it's on all streaming, so you can hear the whole album, even if you can't come and see it. And you can download it at jackdeanandcompany.bandcamp.com as well. Thank you, Jack. Finally, we spoke to composer Gareth Churchill about his work, The Nine Freeders. Could you introduce yourself and tell us what kind of work you make as an artist? Thank you. Yes, of course. Um, so my name's Gareth Churchill, and I'm a composer and a collaborative artist from Cardiff in currently very sunny, but not normally like this, Wales. And my work is, um, I suppose it aspires to give musical voice and artistic expression to the lived experiences of others. And I tend to work in collaboration with communities or organisations or sometimes just individuals and in, in the kind of collaborative development of work, which um, I suppose is broadly music theatre, but that ranges everything from sort of cabaret parlour song to small scale opera. Can you tell us the name of what you're presenting at the festival and, yeah, kind of describe what it is for someone who can't be there? Yes, yeah, so the work I'm talking about in the festival is the Nine Freedas, which is a, was a 2021 R&D commission from Unlimited. It's a musical adaptation of a text by a really extraordinary writer called Kate O'Reilly. And her piece, The Nine Freedas, it's a post-dramatic performance text, which aims to reclaim and celebrate Frida Kahlo as a disability icon. And it features, as the title suggests, nine characters, all of whom are, and at the same time, all of whom are not Frida Kahlo, as Kate's text explores aspects of her biography and her art, and we go on a journey through Frida Kahlo's memory and the Mayan afterlife. And my project seeks to turn this into a musical or, or sort of small-scale operatic form, but I mean, in addition to full singing, there's quite a bit of spoken word and something called Sprechstimme, which is kind of a bit like a musical sing-speak, so spoken word that goes up and down a lot in pitch. So I've spent all of 2021 working with Kate almost exclusively remotely but then right at the end a little bit in person and and we were fortunate to be able to host a sharing in person at Wales Millennium Centre. That's great. What will people actually experience at the festival? 
Yeah, so I'm doing a pitch and miss, which is a, a five-minute film about the project, The Nine Feeders, and the work I've done on it so far with Kate O'Reilly, which resulted in a kind of half-hour sharing presentation in Cardiff. And I'm talking about the work we've done so far and where I want the project to go in the future and how I see it growing from what at the moment is just voices and piano to voices and small ensemble of instruments, probably contemporising the Mexican traditional mariachi band, which for me as a musician gives it a context appropriate for Frida Kahlo. For people who might not know, maybe talk a bit about Frida Kahlo herself and why she's significant to disabled people or as a disabled artist and why she's interesting to you. Yes, I mean, Frida Kahlo is a really extraordinary character who's um, a familiar name, but I, I think is a bit under the radar for a lot of people. She's an artist right at the beginning of the 20th century who was in a major bus accident and... Um, became physically impaired as a result of it and um, went through an extraordinary amount of surgeries to kind of put herself back together. And um, her mobility was described as being jolty and a bit like a pigeon. And I feel like people don't know she was disabled. So I, and Kate felt this way as well when she wrote her text, The Nine Freedoms. And so it seemed like the right subject matter for me as a disabled artist whose work often has a disability focus. And it added to that, Carlo was, um, extraordinary figure because she dressed as a man and a woman and had male and female lovers so in a way was the first non-binary disabled artist of the 20th century although the term non-binary in the understanding we have in it today didn't exist then and you know that again that's something that I worry is completely under the radar for a lot of people so my project intends to draw attention to and immortalize her as a queer dis disabled artist so it feels like she's a kind of strangely contemporary figure you know it's kind of I mean, obviously, she couldn't know this, but she was just doing what she did. With hindsight, she's she's a very kind of 21st century person in some ways. Yes, I think that's a really poignant thought, actually. And I, you're absolutely right. And in many ways, lots of what she was doing right at the beginning of the 20th century through her kind of gender fluidity and um, her art, some of which is surgical and features, you know, anatomical drawings and imagery of her own stillborn babies and her own heart and things, you know, there are real parallels with contemporary society. So I feel like she's at the avant-garde in many ways in that respect. What were the, the things in, in kind of, I mean, I know it's not a finished work, but even getting it to this stage, what were the things that were kind of challenging or difficult? And were there things that not necessarily were challenging, but that were new to you, things that you've never done before or things that you found out as a result of working on this? Uh, yeah, it's been a really extraordinary project to develop. As you say, so far, there's a long way to go with it. But um, I was fortunate to find appropriate singers who identified as disabled and were based in South Wales. It was the first time I'd rehearsed a work which was three musicians, well, four musicians, including the pianist. So there were three singers, two high-pitched female voices, two sopranos, a non-binary baritone, so a kind of medium-low male voice, and then a repetiteur, which is a kind of posh opera house word for a guy that plays the piano and takes rehearsals. James Southall, really extraordinary colleague from Welsh National Opera, recorded all the parts for me as if he was taking individual rehearsals and it all went out via email. So they learned a lot of it remotely. So that was a really extraordinary thing. And actually talking to the team afterwards, we talked about how that actually there were benefits to that that we would never have discovered had it not been for the lockdown. So I feel like I'll try and do a facet of that, a sort of more blended approach in developing this project as it goes forward because it's found this remote working methodology which seems to be going very well. Are there um, 
kind of models for this? You know, it's kind of are you? Is there a particular kind of I don't know, say a composer or a musician that you look to in terms of what this will sound like, or is that something that's not a consideration for you? Does it just sort of it, it ends up how it ends up? You know, does that make sense? So in this work, I've thought about Frida Kahlo. She's a Mexican artist, so I've studied. Mexican traditional music and Mexican folk music, particularly um, an artist called Chavea Vargas, um, who was a Mexican singer-songwriter who was actually a lover of Frida Kahlo's. But I've tried to make the music that I've written kind of influenced by Mexican traditional music. I mean, it doesn't sound just like a Mexican piece, but the reference points are there. If you were to listen to one of the scenes from my piece and then listen to the right Chavea Vargas track, you might notice that it's got the same kind of lopsided 4-4 with the stress on the second and a half beat, which is a bit unusual in Western classical music, but is something that's very common in Mexico, I've discovered. I mean, this is a kind of a pitch event, so this is the really, probably the most obvious question, is like, you know, what, what would be your ideal production of this work? I think probably a one-act piece, so maybe an hour, hour and a half, sort of a piece of many little parts put together. And O'Reilly's original text has got something like 30 short scenes in it. And actually our process, when we worked here, we identified bits which were third to Frida Kahlo, particularly as a disabled artist. And um, because I talked in my acting to Unlimited about creating a work which reflected the lived experience of disability, coming from the point of view of a disabled composer and a dramatist who identifies as disabled. So. I think probably five vocalists, because some of the parts can be layered and with pre-recorded material. I don't think we'll need a full cast of nine. I think there are ways around that in a slightly more economical way. Perhaps three to five musicians, a bit like a mariachi band, guitars, trumpets, and maybe string quartet or something. Perhaps with the company moving as well, I was very drawn to pieces where and this is partly because I'm a member of Power Orchestra and we do a lot of stuff where the musicians are mobile and where the audience are free to kind of walk around. So I'd like it, I'd like that to feature in the production as well. I feel it'd be quite an intimate piece almost, perhaps in the round, so that the sound comes at the audience from many different perspectives and there's lots to look at. It'll be a really immersive, multi-sensory thing. Thanks, Gareth. And really good luck with presenting your work during the pitching session. On this episode, we've heard about some of the music that's being presented at the festival. Some of this work will be available remotely, so if you can't get to the festival physically, go to the Unlimited Festival page on the Southbank Centre website. There's a link in the description of this podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back to speak to three more great disabled artists about their work at the festival. See you then. podcast has been produced by Unlimited thanks to funding from the British Council. Unlimited is supported by Arts Council England, Arts Council of Wales, Creative Scotland and the Paul Hamlin Foundation.